Greetings from Abilene. It's nice this morning to see some fog, something we rarely see in, in Abilene. Nice, quiet beauty there. Even more than that, I appreciate the warm and kind and generous hospitality that I've received since I've been here. So thank you. Thank you very much for your, for your kindness there. It's an honor on my part to be invited uh, to these conversations and one that, I, one that I take very, very seriously. So is there, is there any folks here who have seen the movie uh, Hidden, Hidden Figures? Okay, maybe half of you or something like that. It's the story of some uh, black female mathematicians and how they helped the United States in the space race against Russia, especially during the time of John Glenn. And it's a story that I didn't grow up hearing when we did American history, but it was a story that I loved hearing as I watched the movie because these were extraordinary young women who just had incredible math skills, who were jumping in and doing calculations that nobody knew how to do so that our space program would work, so that John Glenn could re-enter and splash down alive, and they knew the spot where he was going to splash down and they could pick him up. And it's just a great story. And I love those untold stories, those um, stories that I haven't grown up hearing. And during the years that I've been teaching a class called Women in the New Testament and teaching in congregations and at lectureships on these topics, I've enjoyed uh, looking up all the women in the New Testament and reading their stories. And some of those stories I was very familiar with, and some of those were stories that I didn't grow up with. And I've enjoyed uh, hearing those stories. And the one that I'll share with you this morning is one that wasn't exactly new, but it was one that I didn't hear very, very strongly. I grew up in a congregation that was immersed in scripture, so yes, we had, we had heard about Mary. We all knew that Jesus was Mary's mother, and I grew up watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special where Linus quotes the birth story there. That was, that was part of my childhood. But we didn't know much about Mary's story beyond the major, and if I'm being honest with you, we were a little suspicious about Mary because we were Church of Christ and she was a Catholic girl. <laughs> and that, that, that was part of it. That was part of it because it, she, she was a big part there and we were a little suspicious of, of, of other groups. But Mary is just a great example of discipleship. And so I just want to share the story that we get here in chapter 126 through the end of the chapter and tease out some of the portrait that Luke paints, what it, like, what it looks like to be God's, God's disciple. The way the story unfolds, we get a couple verses at the beginning that lay out the setting, and then we get three interactions between the angel and Mary. So here is the setting here in verses 26 and 27. In the sixth year of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
So where do we find ourselves? We, we find ourselves in a town named Nazareth. And if you remember your Bible, you may remember from John chapter 1, the question that Nathan has to Philip. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So when we're talking about Nazareth, we're, we're, we're talking about small town. And if I'm, if I'm being honest with you, we're also talking about Yankees. I mean, these are, these are people that are up north, right? These aren't the good folks that live in the Bible Belt down south. These are, these are Yankee folk. I mean, I hate to use that kind of language in church kind of setting like this, but these are, these are folks from up north, okay? We're not in the Bible Belt. The story begins up there. We're not in Kerrville. We're not in Abilene, right? But it lays out this scene of the angel coming with an announcement and sets the expectation of, so what does this angel have to say? So the first exchange is in verses 28 and 29. The angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. So what is, what is Mary's response? Well, we see she's greatly troubled, which is understandable. She's been addressed by an angel. But it also says that she wondered or she pondered, she considered in her mind what sort of greeting this, this might be. And that's the first aspect of Mary as a disciple. She's a, she's a ponderer, okay? As a college professor, I like this. She's a, she's a thinker. Okay? She doesn't immediately reject what the angel has to say. She doesn't say, well, what I understand, God works through kings and prophets and judges. Why would you be coming to a young girl up in, up in Nazareth? When she hears something new, her first response is to try and understand. She doesn't think, God can't use me. And if you think about it, Mary's got... A legitimate question here because think about the demographic categories that you would use to describe Mary. Virtually every category, she's at the bottom. Okay? She has no official position. She has no title, no office. Okay? She's up north in a country where the power is down south in Jerusalem. She's young in a society that respects age. She's poor in a culture that respects wealth. She's female in a culture where men have power, and she's unmarried and childless in a culture that values marriage and bearing children. I mean, those are, those are six different categories, and every single one of them, she's at the bottom. And so it's understandable for her to ponder and wonder. It's like, why, why would you be coming to me? But instead... She ponders. She thinks, I wonder what God is doing. And this is not the first time that Mary does this. This is characteristic of who she is in Luke's depiction of her as a disciple. Because in chapter 2, when the shepherds come and they report what the angels have said, it says in verse 19 of chapter 2, Mary kept all these things pondering them in her heart. Her first response when she doesn't understand is to wonder and ponder and try and understand. In the very last story of chapter 2, 
is the story when Jesus stays in Jerusalem and his parents find out that he hasn't traveled back with them and they travel back uh, to try and try and find uh, Jesus. They find Jesus in the temple and Jesus explains, I must be about my father's business and Mary and Joseph don't understand. But listen to what it says in verse 51. His mother kept all these things in her heart. As a third time, in two chapters that Mary is described as a ponderer, someone who thinks things over when she doesn't understand. And what's interesting is in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 11, we have the story of an extraordinary young man, Joseph, who has some dreams, and he describes those dreams to his brothers and his fathers, and those dreams involve sun, moon, and stars bowing, bowing down, and brothers are offended by this. But it says of Jacob... Jacob, his father, kept this saying in mind. In other words, Mary comes from a fine tradition of God's people who, when they don't understand something, they ponder it, and they try and understand it. Second exchange, verses 30 through 34. But the angel said to Mary, Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call his name Jesus. He'll be great. And he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Second thing I want to highlight about Mary, she asks honest questions, right? She ponders but then when she doesn't understand, she asks an honest question. Her question is, how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? Now, I know you guys are angels, and you may not know how things work among humans, but this doesn't sound like I understand what you're saying here. Maybe you don't understand how things work since I'm a virgin. And I think to really understand Mary's response you need to see it as Lucas crafted it. And the way Lucas crafted it is like two panels side by side. Luke's gospel opens in Jerusalem with the story of Zechariah and Mary. And interestingly enough, with Zechariah, you have a story of someone for whom an angel comes. The angel says, don't be afraid. The angel delivers a message. The angel has some good news. It's going to be the birth of a child. And both Zechariah and Mary ask a question. Zechariah's question in chapter 1 and verse 18 is, how can I be sure you're telling me the truth? Which is described by the angel as a response of unbelief. Okay? And the angel says, we can work with that too. Tell you what, you won't be able to speak till this comes true. Okay? Now, Mary's question sounds similar to Zechariah's, right? When she says, how will this be? But Mary's question is described as one of belief. Why would I say that? Is it because I'm a Mary fan and not a Zechariah fan? No. Well, yes, I am a Mary fan, but I have nothing against Zechariah. Chapter 1, verse 45, Scripture says... Of Elizabeth, it says, Blessed is she, speaking of Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth characterizes 
Mary's response as one of belief. So it's possible to not understand entirely and ponder. It's possible to ask questions and still be a believing disciple, right? In other words, part of discipleship is not having every answer, every question answered. There are some things that we don't understand, and it's appropriate for disciples to ask honest questions in that context. Mary doesn't presume that she knows everything. She is open to learning new things about God. And instead of Zechariah's response of, how can I be sure you're telling me the truth? Mary's response is, explain this to me. I haven't thought about this way before. Third exchange between the angel and Mary. Verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one to be born will be holy and called Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was unable to conceive in her sixth month will have a child. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And the angel left her. The third thing that I want to point out about Mary as a disciple is she trusts God. And who is this God that Mary trusts? And who is this God that we put our trust in? The God that Mary trusts is a God of the lowly. This God comes to a poor, young female. And God cares about the poor, the young the female. The God that Mary trusts is a God who takes the initiative. God is the one that sends the angel to Mary with this announcement. Our God acts on our behalf, taking initiative. Our God is a powerful God for whom nothing is imp impossible, neither the old age of Elizabeth nor the youth of Mary. Our God is a God, not just of power, but also of grace. Fred Craddock said, Elizabeth and Mary will have sons because God's powerful. They will have sons for our sake because God is a gracious God. And the one that I put last here is our God that we trust is a God who works in surprising ways. Now, if I'm being honest with you, I kind of like it the way that I grew up with it. I kind of like it the way that's easy to understand. I kind of like it the way that's comfortable. And when I say comfortable, I mean for me, okay? But God is a God who sometimes acts in surprising kind of ways. That may not be the way that God chooses to act. And so I think one of the questions that this passage raises is, Am I ready for God to surprise me? As a disciple, would I want God to surprise me in the way that God is surprising Mary here? One of my favorite cartoons that's no longer existent was the series called The Far Side. And it would typically be a single panel with a caption underneath. And one 
one of them that I remember that reminds me of this passage is uh, you have an explorer, and the explorer is stepping into this clearing, and the caption reads, Dr. Livingstone surprised the rhinoceros, an animal that did not like surprises. And I kind of wonder if that doesn't actually describe me. God moved into my world and surprised me. A disciple who didn't like surprises. Or does it describe my congregation or your congregation? God acted in our midst and surprised us. A congregation that didn't like surprises. I love that Mary trusts a God who sometimes works in surprising kind of ways. And the last thing I'll say about Mary here is she has the heart of a servant. Her, her, her statement there in verse 38 is just gorgeous. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She has a great sense of identity. God, I'm your servant. She has a wonderful attitude. Whatever you say, I'll do, right? Let it be to me according to your word. If, if I'm being honest, if we're being honest, sometimes our prayers might be closer to something like, Our Father who art in heaven, thy will be changed. Instead, Mary is a thy will be done kind of disciple, right? Let it be to me according to your will. Whatever you want, I'm going to do. I'm a servant of the Lord. Here I am. Use my mind, my body. Whatever you want, I'll do it. It's just a beautiful portrait of discipleship. And perhaps as you've heard Mary's story as a disciple, you may have heard a little bit of your story. There may be times when you ponder you're greatly troubled, things don't make sense, you might be losing hope, and we have a Mary who ponders in the midst of those kinds of circumstances. You may have things that confuse you. You may have things that frustrate you. And we have a disciple like Mary who asks honest questions. You may struggle to trust God. You may wonder who God is. And we have the example of Mary trusting this God who acts in powerful, gracious, and surprising kind of ways. For me, when I read this, I'm truly inspired by Mary's statement of identity there. When, when she says, I'm a servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. I love the heart of a servant that she has. I want to be a thy will be done, not a my will be done kind of, kind of disciple. It's hard. I, I like things my way, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm being honest with you. So if we ask the question, what do disciples of Christ look like? At least part of Luke's response in this opening chapter of Luke is to describe a young, poor, female disciple named Mary. And I hope in that description of Mary, you found a little bit of 
your own story. And I hope in that story of Mary, if you find that you're in need of encouragement and help and you would like to be a better disciple, I can't imagine you could have come to a better place than this. There are people who will love you and walk side by side as you strive to be a disciple, as you strive to be a servant of the Lord.